Welcome to the Prescription Podcast. On this show, we present to you up-to-date facts on medical-related topics. We are your hosts. I am Ian, a surgeon. I'm Zichin, a gastroenterologist. We're both practicing in Kuala Lumpur. We are on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Please follow us for updates on new episodes. Today, we are on episode number 10. And we are talking on Irritable Bowel Syndrome, IBS. Since I am <laughs> no expert on this, we will rely very much on Dr. Wong to tell us what IBS is all about. Fire right. away. IBS is what we commonly call irritable bowel syndrome. All right. It is actually characterized by recurrent abdominal pain coupled with your abnormal bowel movements. So you will want to ask how often it is and how do we... Uh, classify or diagnose this. Typically, it's diagnosed by just your history. When you tell us that you have pain or any symptoms at least one time, one day in a week at least, um, over the past three months, uh, which has been occurring over the past six months. So there's something chronic, not something acute that comes by, you know, just one, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm confused. One day in a week, over three months, but over six months. What does the three months and six months exactly so, mean? <laughs> <laughs> For example, okay, if you have pain that started six months ago, you experienced similar kind of a pain, abdominal pain. Uh-huh. Six months ago. Okay. Yeah. There was a break in between and then you started. There was a break in between. But it's been occurring it, for three months now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got it. Okay. Good. I hope everyone gets it. Okay. People will. Don't okay. worry. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the pain, right? And about abnormal bowel movements, it can be a spectrum of constipations to diarrhea. And sometimes it can be normal or it can be mixed, right? Coupled with symptoms relieved or worsened with defecations, or change in a stool form or frequency, all right? If you fulfill any of those criteria, right, then we would probably say you have irritable bowel syndrome. Of course, provided we wrote any other red flag signs or... Um, dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous signs. signs. Dangerous, dangerous signs. signs, yeah, which we will elaborate later. So, I'm guessing a lot of your patients come with maybe either diarrhea or constipation, as you mentioned. If you ask all the questions, you think this most likely is IBS. Do they need to go through some tests? No tests? Yeah. So we would also go through whether there's any associated symptoms. Right. Right. Like dyspepsia, heartburns, bloatings. Okay. Yeah. That would sometimes actually accompany and present at the same time when you have all the symptoms of diarrhea and constipations. Okay. So whether or not we're going to further investigate, as I mentioned earlier, we diagnose by history, it all pretty much depends on whether you have any other dangerous signs or symptoms. First is the age, right? Anyone above 50, we will definitely do a further investigations. Anyone that has uh, worsening symptoms or night symptoms, uh, meaning meaning you it wakes you up yeah, from, uh, from your sleep, the symptoms, right? Any loss of weight, loss of appetite and fever, those are the dangerous signs that we would want to take into account. You know? Young patient with family, strong family history of colorectal cancer? Yeah, that's also one of the reasons. Okay. All right. So if if you have weight loss, some signs of anemia, I mean, not enough red cells, right? Okay. Or any family history of organic gastrointestinal problem, meaning cancer, any part of the GI tract, 
and what we call inflammatory bowel disease, any of the family history with all these symptoms, all this history, we would investigate further before we say that it's irritable bowel syndrome. Aha, uh-huh. you brought up something that made me want to question oh, a bit more. Have I did my own grave? Uh, <laughs> so, if it's a young patient and they have predominantly more diarrhea symptoms, when do you suspect them for IBD instead, inflammatory bowel disease? Yeah. So again, progression of disease, if it occurs every single day, yeah, progression and we call it chronic diarrhea of four weeks mm. or more. Mm. Yeah. Remember when I said earlier the symptoms once in a day. So it's not so severe as compared to IBD. There's no progressions. Okay. In inflammatory bowel disease, there's always a progression of disease and it's persistent over a period of time and it doesn't really resolve with your symptomatic treatment. Yep. Right, those kind of patients, and they would always have associated Other symptoms, symptoms like as well. yeah. anemia, not enough blood, loss of weight, and those kind of symptoms which would have raised the red flag. Okay, all right. So, well, if I'm not sure, I'm just sending the patient over to you. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, yeah, I, I guess kind of summarize it's. They do have either constipation or diarrhea kind of symptoms. It's not that frequent. It's kind of steady. It doesn't worsen. And they don't have all the red flag signs or danger signs that we talk about. Then we probably lean more towards IBS. Correct? Also, again, something that's more objective would be the frequency of the diarrhea or the constipation, which is something more than 25% of your usual stool frequency that would also help us in classifying you or in diagnosing you as well. Okay. So, I guess I'm still back to the my first question. You didn't quite answer. So, you're saying if this patient is young, it sounds like IBS, there is no investigation to be done? Oh, definitely. There is. Ah, I mean, okay. before we say there's IBS, like I said, you know, whether yeah, there's the red signs. Okay. So, if they don't have that? We don't have that. Okay. You don't investigate. So, yeah. So, okay. In short... No, if it's not worrying, you can just kind of observe. And if there is progression, then you probably do appropriate investigations. For example, like your blood test. And uh, in the event, if there's progression of disease, you need something more invasive, Mm. like an endoscopy assessment to look at the lining of the colon and the GI tract. Okay, so fine. You've got this young patient, no red flag signs, no danger signs you've kind of diagnosed that this patient has IBS. What's next? Well, that brings us to the treatment, the management, how we're going to manage, right? Okay. So pretty much a few things we look at it. First thing is always psychosocial support. Always look into the trigger factor. Mm. Yeah, as we all know that many a times, stressor, whether there's some anxiety and depression and all those things would have contributed to this as we... We did not really mention about the mechanism of no irritable uh, bowel syndrome. You can come to that once you talk about this. So unlike gastritis, stress can actually cause or worsen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so if so if someone says <laughs> I have tummy ache because I'm stressed, oh IBS. Okay, maybe not. I'm just joking, but yeah, I mean, so I think definitely, you know, stress isn't there. Is is, some component there is there is. For example, just before you go for exam or some stressful event, you do get that tummy ache and you do want to go run to the toilet. So what what is so what is that? You're telling me yeah. So it's hypersensitivity, Uh, right? That's one of the mechanism. Okay. Um, that causes that triggers this irritable bowel syndrome. 
Okay. Right? Yeah. So hypersensitivity or the bowel wall causes and leads to this pain, a sensation of pain, and that would contribute to one as one of the cause, yeah, mm. of of this irritable bowel syndrome, which is the hallmark of it, where one of the thing is abdominal pain, you know, to diagnose it, and whether it's diarrhea or constipate, then it depends also on your food, your diet, yeah, that would also play a major role in contributing to the symptoms. Yeah, so I guess there's a science explanation between uh, for those who have butterflies in their tummy before they have, you know, a stage presentation and. <laughs> The stress yeah, is causing I them think, to I have... I think that is the explanation. That's part of it. I mean, okay. Of course, we do not know the exact cause, but it's mm. multifactorial okay. that actually contributes to this kind of symptoms, okay. right? So this is what you call a psychomotor kind of reaction, right? So something emotion or brain related is yeah, kind of affecting the whole body. Yes. Right? A, a medical term would be, although I do not like to use that here, but it's called a gut-brain axis. So it's a Gut. It's like psychomotor, right? That's no? sensing. Yeah, 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 it is. It is, it is. Yeah. But there is a term. So it's an established theory yeah, that, right. that this is causing it, right? right? So, so other lifestyle than... modification again. <laughs> yeah. I think doctor's favorite word, right? <laughs> lifestyle modification. Yes, something conservative. But but something something very prominent in dietary measures here in irritable bowel syndrome is what we call a low FODMAP diet, which is your simple carbohydrates. Yeah, your short chain carbohydrates. Example like your lactose, fructose. You want to tell people what low FODMAP is? They might think it's something you can find a ways map, you know. What's that? Oh, the FODMAP. Low FODMAP. People don't know what FODMAP is, right? They hear map, they think, can I find it in Waze or yeah. Google Maps? So let me expand the term. Yeah. Okay. Expand the term. Please. So it's a fermentable oligomono disaccharide and poly oils. In short, is they are all your carbohydrates, uh-huh. short chain carbohydrates. FODMAP spells as F O D M A P. All right, it's a type of diet I think not many has heard of, but it is a therapeutic diet, right? It mm. it is like your diabetic diet, you know, low fat diet, low salt diet, high protein diet, right? But this low FODMAP diet is catered for people with irritable bowel syndrome especially on patients with diarrhea and bloating. So basically, yeah. low FODMAP is something that is easily digestible. Can I say that? Um, not exactly. No? So it is because of the Darn. compound yeah, okay. of that short-chain carbohydrate that has the reaction, that causes a reaction with your bacteria in the gut that causes a chemical reaction, a series of chemical reactions, and one of the products is gas, right? Mm. So that causes your bloating sensation. Second hypothesis or theory is this lactose and fructose compound that affects the bowel and how they draw out the water content from your bowel, the amount of water content that's going to be drawn out. So that would contribute to either diarrhea or constipation. So it all depends on that. So it's a spectrum. It depends on what you eat, Mm. right? So some examples of low FODMAP? Some examples of probably high FODMAP that's going to cause it. So you wanted yeah. to take something low FODMAP, yeah, correct. right? So, what, what, so something yeah. like a high FODMAP, the common ones that we eat are apples, okay. any legumes, and broccoli. 
right? But again, not everyone experienced the same symptoms wow, with... Wow, veg, you're telling people. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> mainly, the main problem comes from vegetables. Wow. Right? But like you have the... to identify which type of compound. Yeah, there are six sub-compounds, but let's leave it to the expert. When the doctor prescribes a low-format diet, we typically <laughs> send you to a dietitian. Yeah. And go through that with you. You, you. you see, where the problem lies is... I mean, I find difficult is that if this is the subset of constipation, yeah. I mean, which yeah. what would doctors tell all their patients to do? Eat more green. <laughs> and if somehow they prefer to eat legumes or... It's, it's gonna, fine. It's fine. It's going to get worse, right? the constipation patient may not have bloating. Ah. And low FODMAP diet doesn't work on people with constipation. I mentioned earlier, it works okay. on people with diarrhea and bloating. So ah. subtyping you is very important. So, it's I a thank, complex. I thank the Lord I don't have to subtype this kind of... I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I mean... Yeah, so IBS may sound easy, simple, but it's nope. actually quite complex, yep. right? So it depending on the subtype, different subtype, the approach is very different. Okay, okay? low FODMAP is for diarrhea and bloating. Okay, it works better. It works better. Like one of the papers they've done is it works better and shows more positive results in symptom response. So complex, but don't scratch your head over it and uh, get yourself diagnosed and we will assign you to the appropriate dietitian yeah. to guide you through. And it's not a long-term diet. It is a short-term diet. You, know, you probably do it for over six weeks and we will be able to identify the trigger cause, the trigger factor, what is the food type that actually triggers your symptoms and we will try to do a reintroduction. So that's the whole an idea of what we do. Okay, so if you reintroduce and they still have the symptoms... Avoid. Completely. Avoidance is wow. the best. Okay. Yeah, so we call that avoidance measures. So, so this is for those who have bloating, but what if they don't... I mean, does the low FODMAP only work for certain subsets of IBS or...? Yeah, yeah like I mentioned earlier, uh, diarrhea and bloating. Okay. Predominant. Predominant. Yeah, they work better. They work best. They can experience symptom improvement as soon as early as one week after okay. introduction of low FODMAP diet. But for constipation, the such set with constipation, this diet does not work that well. Mm. Okay. For that, there's a lot of history taking, understanding the background and try to look for a trigger cause that will actually cause this constipation. Mm. Sometimes the history date back to many, many years, you know, whether yep. there were anything that has caused or has triggered the symptoms when they were even younger and to look for that reason. And also the habit of going to the toilet, the type of the toilet, right? Whether it's a squatting toilet or a sitting toilet, that would affect as well. Basically, that would be because of the anatomy, the position of the sitting toilet and the squatting toilet. So would that be IBS or is that more That's IBS of, constipation. It's not the mechanical type, all right? So realigning, you know, the bowel by the position when you are doing or when you're passing motion, that would actually help. But how would you diagnose someone whether it is due to the malalignment of the bowel? 
Do you do studies? Yeah, we do. Defecating proctogram, which is basically contrast and asking the person to pass motion. Yeah, there will be certain tests and there's few tests, you know, to to investigate whether there's any other problems that's causing the constipation. Otherwise, if it's just functional constipation, like in irritable bowel syndrome, we will, again, psychosocial measures, right? And identify the cause of the constipation and try position before we put the patient even on symptomatic treatment like your lactulose or your, your any other form of um, high fiber compound and, and all those things to help um, soften the stool. So would it be fair to say if this patient, a patient comes with constipation, one of the things that you probably might want to ask them if they have changed the type of toilet they've been using from squatting to sitting or vice versa? Yeah. Would that yeah, affect that it? Would, would, right? That would, that would. So, hmm. so usually squatting is the best. All right. So if you are using a sitting toilet, which, you know, I think everyone's house now, home is is having a sitting Um, toilet, majority. Some people still like to squat, but yeah. So we would actually encourage them to actually get a little stool to lift up your feet. Mm. Probably uh, to cause the angle. Yeah. So to realign the angle, right? To imitate a squatting position. position. Mm. Right, so that that would help. So yeah, I think that's the gist of it, right? If you have constipation and diarrhea, right? But if you have mixed, then we would just have to go ahead and identify the trigger factors and address accordingly. I I suspect you know if this podcast reaches enough people, gastroenterologists gonna be quite busy after this. We'll see. No, I think I thought a lot of people self-diagnose and be able to actually diagnose really? themselves. A common one would be lactose intolerance. If we talk about lactose intolerance, people would yeah. actually be able to tell you, you know. Yeah, right? So lactose is one of the high FODMAP compounds that mm. actually cause problems. Lactose it's and fructose. Okay. Lactose, fructose. Um, the others are sorbitol. I don't want to, yeah. to go into that details. But there are a total of six compounds in there. Okay. Okay? Right. Right. Fire more questions. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, let's let's try to summarize. I think uh, it's quite a lot of information. I think it's not as clear cut. I mean, even f- for me, even a med- as a medical personnel, I know a little bit about IBS, but I don't know very much. So I think let's make it easy for everyone, right? It's basically you know symptoms that's similar to other diseases, but of course it's a little bit more constant and doesn't get worse, right? And we definitely want to ensure that, that there are no red flag signs, no danger signs before we can truly say it's IBS. And I think. Generally, it's a lot to do, again, with lifestyle modification, this time to do with stressors and also a little bit to do with the food, type of food, right? Because that can affect. Whereas if it is constipation, then it may be, if all things else is ruled out, it may just be somewhat positional, right? Yep. If I can summarize it, yes. something like that. Yeah, I think that's the main the main message we want to share across, right? Irritable bowel syndrome is not life-threatening, yep. let's put it that way, right? But it is disturbing. Yeah, it is it does affect your daily living. Yep. It does affect your job performances. Sure. It does cause people to take medical sick lift and all that, right? Mm. So it is something that is easily treatable easily to target once um, the trigger factor is being identified and that will definitely drastically improve the quality of life. I think this is what we want to stress about. Yep. Of course, not forgetting like what you mentioned earlier, the dangerous symptoms and dangerous signs that would require further investigations. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think we've covered quite a fair bit. I hope it's clear. 
can't offer much today except for some questions. <laughs> uh, hope it's clear to everyone. I think it's somewhat clear to me. I think I've personally learned a little bit about IBS today. So I think with that, we, sh- we can end. Yeah, I think we can end. So yeah. if you have any questions, please email us at prescriptionpod, P-R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. So with that, thank you for tuning in. All right. See you next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.